friends, and welcome to another episode of Booklist Shelf Care, the podcast, where we talk all things reader's advisory, collection development, and reference right in your little ears. I'm your host, Susan McGuire, here to guide you on our journey through all things bookish and library land. It's the end of the year, so you know what that means. That's right, Booklist's editor's choice. Our full choices came out in our December issue, so those in the know already know what's on the list. But each of the editors have particular favorites, books that really stood out from the already fine pack that they felt deserved a specific shout-out. That's where Shelf Care the Podcast comes in. Each of our editors sent in a voice note calling out books that they felt deserved specific mention from our editor's choice list. It's the perfect listening companion to our December issue, and I hope you enjoy. This is who you'll hear from in this order. Donna Seaman, Sarah Hunter, with special guest star Her Daughter, Heather Booth, Julia Smith, Annie Bostrom, Maggie Reagan, Susan McGuire, that's me, and Ronnie Curry. Let's get to it. Hello, this is Donna Seaman, adult books editor for Booklist, here to talk about our top of the list winners and some of my favorites on the Booklist Editor's Choice, our list of the best titles of the year, books that we recommend to you to recommend to others and to read, of course. I'll begin with the 2023 top of the list winners. For nonfiction, the top title is Brave the Wild River, the untold story of two women who mapped the botany of the Grand Canyon by Melissa L. Sevigny, published by W.W. Norton. Brave the Wild River tells the story of two intrepid yet forgotten women scientists, Elzada Clover and Lois Jotter. They joined forces at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor in 1938 to organize and conduct the first formal botanical survey of the Colorado River. This entailed a 600-mile journey down that notoriously dangerous river through the Grand Canyon. Not only did the botanists contend with treacherous rapids and other perils of nature, they also faced rampant misogyny and sexist press coverage. In spite of danger and adversity, they collected 500 plant specimens, some new to science. Brave the Wild River is a breath-catching adventure story and a significant work of scientific, environmental, and women's history, and it is told with wit and empathy. The top of the list fiction title for adults is The Apartment by Anna Menendez, published by Counterpoint. In this haunting novel with a subtle touch of magic realism, Menendez tells the emotionally and culturally intricate stories of the tenants in Apartment 2B in a South Miami Beach apartment building built in 1942. The novel spans the next 70 years as the world changes radically and the lives within 2B reflect those changes in evocative episodes of love and despair, otherness and longing, wonder and mystery. The tenants include an Air Force officer and his young wife, a concert pianist from Cuba, a Vietnam War veteran, a politically exiled couple, a couple who married for a green card and the husband's lover, and refugees from different parts of the world. Using the apartment as a stage, Menendez dramatizes a grand array of human experiences and our impact on the natural world as the climate heats, the sea rises, and the city floods. This is The Apartment by Anna Menendez. All right, how about some other best fiction titles from Booklet's Editor's Choice? For readers looking for a funny, frank, and earthy novel, considered What Happened to Ruthie Ramirez by Claire Jimenez, published by Grand Central. 
This witty debut focuses on a tightly knit Puerto Rican family on Staten Island during the 2008 recession, a family haunted by the disappearance of their middle daughter, 13-year-old Ruthie. The years go by without a clue or a hope, and then one of the sisters sees a woman on a reality TV show she is convinced is Ruthie. She and her other sister and their mother embark on a hilariously off-kilter journey to Boston in the hope of finally reuniting with the longed-for Ruthie. The Heaven and Earth Grocery Store by James McBride, published by Riverhead, is a many-faceted tale of strife, ingenuity, and how we move heaven and earth to help one another. It is set in a hard-scrabble neighborhood in Pottstown, Pennsylvania, home to African-Americans who fled racial violence in the Deep South and Jews who escaped the pogroms of Eastern Europe. Everyone's improvising to get by, with the grocery store of the title at the center, bolstering the community as people come together to try to protect an orphaned deaf boy from being sent to a hellish state asylum. Vivid, brilliantly plotted, and unforgettable. Absolution by Alice McDermott, published by Farrell, Strauss, and Garreau. I've been an Alice McDermott fan for years, enthralled by her lacerating insights, gorgeous lyricism, and subtle yet exacting moral reckonings. In her sublime ninth novel, she illuminates shades of good and evil in a bubble of white American privilege in Saigon in the early 1960s, just before the war in Vietnam. In that enclave, she brings together two very different American women, American wives, who join forces in a risky, meant-to-do-good scheme that involves, of all things, Barbie, that newly invigorated icon of female paradox and power. One poetry collection struck me with particular force in 2023, Patricia Smith's Unshuttered, from Triquarterly, an imprint of Northwestern University Press. Smith, a recipient of the Poetry Foundation's Ruth Lilly Award for Lifetime Achievement, has been searching for and collecting photographs of 19th century African Americans for more than two decades. Here she presents 42 formal portraits. The subjects are unnamed, though the studio and location are often displayed. Each photograph is accompanied by a poem. These vary from spare evocative lyrics to history-steeped declarations, as Smith imagines each person's personality and experience. Each voice is unique and trenchant, each expressing longing, love, grief, defiance, and fortitude. And finally, to swing back to another nonfiction title, I must call out Poverty by America, written by Matthew Desmond, published by Crown. Carnegie Medal winner and MacArthur Fellow Desmond presents a brilliantly researched, lucidly and beautifully written, an absolutely jolting inquiry into how the U.S. has failed to forthrightly and effectively address poverty and its deep systemic causes. This is a mind-spinning study full of tough revelations, brightened a bit by the relief of having the truth of the matter excavated from so many layers of whitewashing. Desmond also suggests some potential solutions. Well, that's it for me. Thank you so much for listening to my recommendations. Wishing you happy reading. Stay well. Hi, Susan. This is Sarah, editor of the Books for Youth and Graphic Novel sections. And I have a lot of books to talk about this time because this is the first year that we've ever had a dedicated graphic novels list in Editor's Choice, which I'm very excited about. But that also means that I have like twice as many books as I would normally tell you about in one of these. So let me just get right to it. 
On the adult side, on our graphic novels list, I have two books that I really want to spotlight. The first one is Roaming by Mariko Tamaki with art by Jillian Tamaki and published by Drowning Quarterly. I love this one because it feels very much like a spiritual sequel to This One Summer, another one of my favorite books that they worked on, which is about like very mundane things. Roaming is about three friends who go to New York and go to different tourist traps. But there's something so earth-shattering about the emotional experiences of each of those characters that makes this like small moment, this weekend, where they're all away together, seemed like super transformative. And they are so good at finding poignant meaning in little mundanities. And it's it's amazing to watch them do that. They're both like by themselves and together. The two of them are so good at it. And the other thing that I really love about this book is Julia Tamaki's artwork does something I've never seen anyone do before. In the experience of being in New York and being in these touristy places, the three characters go to museums and like Times Square and Jillian Tamaki does these two-page spreads where you're sitting still and watching the scene sort of swirl around you and you see like objects floating by and people moving by and these like unbounded images that seem to transcend time, which is a really like weird thing to say about a picture, but that's the experience of looking at one of these images is like you are in a swirl of a crowd and you're overwhelmed by everything that you're seeing. And I thought it was so cool the way she chose to do that. The other one I want to talk about on the adult side is Shubik Lubik, which is written and drawn by Dina Muhammad and published by Pantheon. This is a book that was originally published in Egypt. It is set in a world where wishes are real, but are heavily regulated by the government. And it centers on a kiosk owner who has three first-class wishes, which are like the hardest to come by, the most expensive, And he has been trying to get rid of them for years because he doesn't want to have anything to do with them. He doesn't like wishes. And he ends up selling them to a really disparate group of people. Um, We learn about those people's circumstances and what makes them want to buy such an expensive wish and their repercussions of purchasing such an expensive wish. And in the course of these three stories, which like ultimately knit together in a really beautiful way, Dina Muhammad has some like extremely sharp very funny commentary on poverty, privilege, colonialism. And it's really amazing to see such a beautiful human story, which is about relationships and existence and self-esteem and community, be set in such an outlandish world. There's something about it that feels very over the top, like people getting these like huge wishes and like cars that can talk and dinosaurs as backyard pets. But she manages to keep it very, very grounded on human connection, which is such a fantastic balancing act. And that was our top of the list pick, in case I didn't mention it. Top of the list adult graphic novel, Shuik Lubick. On the youth side and in graphic novels, I really loved Family Style Memories of an American from Vietnam, written and drawn by Tin Pham and published by First Second. This is a memoir of Pham's experiences in coming to the U.S. from Vietnam as a child, and they're all centered on food experiences, so like different symbolic meals that he had at various stages of his life. I am a sucker for any book about food, but especially a book about food that uses food as a way to connect to memory. And he does this so beautifully in this book. It's such a fantastic way of organizing his memories and talking about a journey and change and growth. 
And as usual, his his art is just lovely. And then our top of the list youth graphic novel for the year is Bee Wolf by Zach Wienersmith with art by Boulay, which is also published by First Second. This is a middle grade adaptation of Beowulf where the knights are rowdy neighborhood kids in a treehouse and their villain, Grendel, is a grouchy neighbor who hates noise and mess and he doesn't kill knights, but he makes them turn old and grumpy and boring. And it is so raucous and so fun. Zach Wienersmith managed to like capture the sonic quality of Old English in his uh, contemporary translation. <laughs> One of the lines I keep thinking about is Don Rose like a jerk, <laughs> which is something that I think a middle grader would really love to read. And also like you could find a comparable translation of Beowulf that would like echo a similar feeling. And I think what this book does is like, first of all, it's really fun, really silly. It's like very pro kid, but it also is really smart about Beowulf and like the actor translation and what he was trying to capture in making this book. And I think it is such a cool combination of those things. And I love it. I've been recommending it to everybody because it's just so great. On the books for youth side, I'm going to be talking about picture books, and I have three picture books I want to talk about today. The first one I want to showcase is Invisible Things, which is written and illustrated by Andy J. Pizza and Sophie Miller and published by Chronicle. This is a little encyclopedia of abstract concepts, which is such an unusual little thing. The artwork is really incredible at visualizing each of these abstract concepts, which is a very difficult thing to do, but they use color and shape really, really effectively to evoke feelings and moods. And there's a really great spread about Echo that uses color really cleverly. And I really like this book both for like what it is setting out to accomplish just like as a concept, but also like how they managed to pull it off in a way that is fun, entertaining, useful, and just like really beautiful to look at. I, I'm really fascinated by this book and I keep looking at it and liking it more. Another one I really love is Jumper, A Day in the Life of a Backyard Jumping Spider, written and illustrated by Jessica Lannon, published by Roaring Brook, which is an imprint of Macmillan. This is a nonfiction picture book about jumping spiders. But the thing that's so cool about it is that Jessica Lannon has use both the visual perspective of the girl who's observing the jumping spider in the book and the visual perspective of the jumping spider who is moving around the backyard and avoiding being eaten and trying to find food and finding shelter. And the way she has chosen to illustrate the jumping spider's perspective is just top-notch. I mean, visually, conceptually, it is so cool and you really get a sense of what it might be like to be a jumping spider, which, I don't know, I find that incredibly charming. And finally, I'm going to tell you about our top of the list picture book, which I have been thinking about and laughing about ever since I first read the review over the summer. It is Mr. S, written and illustrated by Monica Arnaldo and published by HarperCollins' Catherine Teigen. This book is hilarious. It is about a kindergarten class who is waiting for their teacher to arrive, but he doesn't show up. There is a name written on the board, Mr. S, and there is a sandwich on the desk, and they all assume that the sandwich is their teacher. It is very silly. The artwork is so amazing. There's like a little visual narrative 
in the background that you can pick up on if you're paying attention. And it is just like really, really funny and imaginative. And another reason I really love this book is because my daughter also really loves this book. And from the moment I like brought it to her, she has like latched onto it. Um, So maybe it's genetic. I don't know. But she loves it so much that she has actually memorized the text from the few times that we read it together. And as a special little treat for you, I'm also sending you a voice note of her reading a portion of Mr. S. These are my favorite books of the year. Thanks. Bye. Aloud. It was the phone from the narrative. But as only the Hey, this is Heather Booth from the audio section. I'm going to start off talking about our top of the list title for adults, which is Cutting Teeth by Chandler Baker and read by January Lavoie. This is the Macmillan audio title, and it really shows off January Lavoie in top form. She's a lot of people's favorite narrators just because of her versatility, and you really see that highlighted in this suburban kind of thriller slash maybe a little horror story about preschool moms and their toddlers who suddenly all start wanting to drink their blood. January Lavoie is just amazing in her ability to convey each of the different characters, many of whom are quite similar to one another, with distinct voicings. And something else that she does in this book that I think is so wonderful and so indicative of her skill as a narrator is the way she's able to seamlessly move back and forth between adult voices and children's voices that are only grading when they should be grading. Because if you know some preschoolers, you know that that can sometimes certainly happen. A couple other titles of note on the adult audio list. I want to be sure that everybody is able to take a listen to. Tom Lake by Ann Patchett. Now, everybody knows Ann Patchett. Everybody's going to be familiar with her newest book, Tom Lake, which is just this beautiful story set in a cherry orchard in northern Michigan. The audiobook produced by Harper Audio is read by the incomparable Meryl Streep. So even if you have read the book in print, It's definitely one worth a listen as well. This is something that I think would be a beautiful suggestion to any of your patrons who are interested in delving into audio, maybe are already big readers, they're aware of Ann Patchett, and this is really going to push them over the edge in seeing just what an audiobook can do. Two nonfiction audios for adults that I'd like to mention. So Many Steves, Afternoons with Steve Martin. This is put together by Pushkin. And it's Steve Martin and Adam Gopnik in conversation. This is a great one to recommend to those library patrons who are really interested in podcasts. It has a very podcast feel to it, but it's also something that really delves into Steve Martin as an artist, as a creator, as just an interesting person, and is only available on audio. This is the only way that you can access this content. There is no print version. Something else that I think is definitely worth a listen for nothing else than for her very virtuosic and very funny voices. Sure, I'll Join Your Cult, A Memoir of Mental Illness and the Quest to Belong Anywhere by Maria Bamford. Maria Bamford is the voice behind many cartoon characters, and also she was amazing in Lady Dynamite, the television series that fictionalized her own struggles in comedy and with mental illnesses. Here, she really does bring every ounce of experience that she has with that acting and comic background as a voice actor. It sounds like her mother is in the room recording with her when she's voicing her mother. She does all kinds of funny little asides. Her voice is 
certainly memorable. And I really thought this was a great book that does a great job of going back and forth between tragedy and comedy. On the kids' end of things, the top of the list title for youth is What Happened to Rachel Riley by Claire Swinarski, read by a full cast. This is a Harper Audio title, and it's just a fantastic example of what you can do with the audio medium. The main character here is very interested in podcasts, and in fact, she is producing a podcast over the course of the book. The production takes tremendous care in presenting this, so the portions that are podcasts that she's recording sound a little bit different from the regular narrative. It's also another full cast that takes a cast of characters, teenage girls by and large, and differentiates them very nicely and really brings each character's personality to the fore. Meryl Streep makes an appearance on the youth list as well with her narration of Big Tree by Brian Selznick. If you've seen this book in print, you might wonder just how this could translate to audio. So much of the book is Selznick's evocative illustrations. But the production by Scholastic pulls in sound effects, really beautiful production, and even a musical score along with Streep's voice to evoke that sweeping, immersive experience that you get while reading the print book. And finally, one for teens, The Spirit Bears Its Teeth by Andrew Joseph White, read by Raphael Corkpill. This is a listening library title. It is really leaning into the body horror in the Victorian thriller setting. This is one that's going to be a great pick for those teens who are looking for something that pushes the boundaries of Victorians that they've read before, leans into that really dark, brooding thriller element, and doesn't shy away from the grit of the body horror. Last but not least, I want to be sure to mention this year's selection for Voice of Choice. This narrator is going to be profiled in our January issue, but we wanted to give you all the heads up that Eduardo Ballerini has been selected as the booklist voice of choice. If you're an audiobook fan, you definitely know the name, you certainly know the voice. We're so excited to showcase in January where you'll hear all kinds of wonderful things about his process and his background as an audio narrator. Again, this is Heather Booth. Thanks so much. Happy listening. Hi there. This is Julia Smith, senior editor in the youth books department here to talk to you about the year's amazing middle grade releases in fiction. And this is our first year for Editor's Choice that we have teased out the middle grade fiction from the young adult fiction when choosing the top of the list. So each category gets one this year. And that was fantastic because it can be really difficult to choose between a book for older readers that is doing its job amazingly and one for a younger audience that is also doing a fantastic job, but the jobs they're doing are very different. So that said, our top of the list pick for middle grade is Gary D. Schmidt's The Labors of Hercules Beale. He is just a like long-standing librarian favorite, so no real surprise there with that pick. But, you know, always wonderful to see another book in the world with his name on it. 
So I would like to spend just a little time shouting out a few other titles from the middle grade list that really stood out to me. And I hope you enjoy these suggestions. I'll start off with Barely Floating by Lilium Rivera, which was published by Penguin Coquila. And it follows a girl who proudly identifies as a fat Latina, and she loves swimming. And one summer while swimming, there is a demonstration by a local synchronized swimming team. And she's blown away and devotes all her time and energy to making it on this team. And the author does a really great job of showing you that world and also sort of getting into other issues in the protagonist's home life, in her friendships, and it's just very charming, very satisfying. And then dipping into horror, because you know I love my horror, we have The Other Woods by Justine Pusella Winans which was published by Bloomsbury. This author was actually the author of our YA top of the list book, Bianca Torre is Afraid of Everything. So a really great year. It was um, That was a debut. So fantastic contributions from her on both the middle grade and YA fronts. In this book, we have a non-binary main character who can see monsters and has, for all of their life, done their best to just ignore them. And in this story, this is the account of when it proved impossible to ignore them any longer. And they are drawn into the monster's world for a nicely chilling adventure that is very imaginative. It has a fantastic cat named Mr. Fluffy Pancakes, who is a great sidekick throughout the story. So, I mean, what more do you need? That's a fantastic one. And one of my very favorite books was The Worlds We Leave Behind by A.F. Harold, also by the publisher Bloomsbury. And this isn't one for all readers. It's a little more philosophical and haunting, but it's so good and like creepy and weird and thought provoking. And it is some kids who are playing in the woods and a younger neighbor tags along and gets hurt in the process. And so it's sort of examining the consequences of their actions and choices, but it takes a much more literal form in an old, like, witchy woman who lives in the woods with her dog and, like, makes them an offer of fixing things for them or eliminating people who are problematic. And while the quick fix always seems nice, of course there are repercussions and so it's just a very intriguing, unusual story. But the right reader will love it. And I think I will wrap up with a fun adventure. 
It's actually a series installment, which doesn't often make it on our editor's choice list. So it has to be really good to do it. That is The Wild Robot Protects by Peter Brown, put out by Little Brown. For that one, Roz the Robot returns in her third adventure, and the inhabitants of her island, all animals, are having like a big issue because there are toxic, polluted waters suddenly kind of encroaching and destroying plant life and threatening any of the animals that live in the ocean. And so Roz realized that she's impervious to the toxicity and she strikes out to find the source of the pollution and hopefully stop it to save her friends and family. So it is just a wonderful adventure in its own right. It is also an excellent way to get into conversations about environmental issues and um, it gets into the the deep ocean drilling or mining, which is a big problem today. And so it's just, you know, you can extend the story in classroom or home discussions easily like that, but it's also just a super fun adventure with, you know, just enough tension and then humorous situations. He really balances all of that well, and it never feels like here is a lesson I am teaching to you or anything like that. So it it's good for younger middle grade readers, probably around third grade and up. And it's just such a delight. So those are a few books for you to definitely pay attention to. And I hope you enjoy. Hi, Susan. It's your mother. Just kidding. It's your colleague, Annie Bostrom. Rumor has it that you are dying to know what my favorite books on our 2023 adult editor's choice list are. Well, die no more, because here's mine. And speaking of staying alive, my favorite novel from 2023 was Lauren Groff's historical survival novel, The Vaster Wilds, and this was published by Riverhead Books. The book opens with a girl running north from an encampment somewhere in the northeast part of the country we live in, but this is the early 17th century, and the girl is fleeing a settlement with people who are not from this land, and these people are starving and dying from disease and succumbing to all kinds of cruelty against their fellow settlers and against, of course, the people who were there first. And there's so much that's mysterious about this book. We don't know the girl's name until midway through the book, and then we know she had several. We don't know exactly where she is, exactly where she came from. We don't know why she's fleeing with great haste. And even she doesn't know exactly where she's going, except that she's following the mental snapshot she took of a map that she once viewed over a settler leader, a man's shoulder. And Lauren Groff is just such a brilliant writer. And so all of these things are revealed as we go. And in Elizabethan cadence to boot, because like I said, she is a genius. But the drama is in the minutia of 
this girl's survival, how she stays warm, how she finds food, how she defends and takes care of herself. And I forgot to say that it's winter. There's snow on the ground. I mean, how many of us today could imagine lasting more than uh, like three hours? But this is truly thrilling stuff. This, you know, catching a fish and where does she keep it? How does she cook it? Make fire. This quote unquote minutia is so truly thrilling because it is so far from our reality. And you just, it's an amazing feat of imagination and so fun as a reader to imagine Lauren Groff, you know, making this up. Obviously, she did so much research. And she said that this is part of a triptych of novels with Matrix that came out a couple years ago. And so this is not a sequel, but it's very much a companion because we have this heroine is so driven and so alive in this book that we hold that it's, it's like a diary. So I really do hope that third book comes to fruition. Anyway, it's fascinating stuff, and I hope you read it. Love you. Bye. <laughs> Hello, Shelf Care listeners. I hope you had a happy holiday season. This is Maggie Reagan. I'm a senior editor in the Books for Youth department, and I'm here to talk to you about some of my YA favorites. If you tuned in last year, you might have heard me talk about some YA romances, um, and this year I'm still sticking with genre fiction, but it's fantasy this time. So to kick things off, I'm going to talk about a couple of horse girl books because I was a horse girl back in the day and kind of in the present day. But first up is Champion of Faith by Kendari Blake, which was one of my favorite books of the year. Uh, you might know her as the author of the Three Dark Crown series. This is a new series starter. I think it's called the Hero Maker Duology. And it's about a girl who guides heroes chosen by fate, but she has her own destiny. There's a very mean horse in this book if you're into this sort of thing, uh, which I am. But if you've read any Kandari Blake before, you know kind of what you're in for when it comes to world building. So this has all the pieces that you've come to love, but this book has some extra heft. It's really huge in scope. I can see this getting comp to Madeline Miller. It's just huge and dramatic. It has that kind of Trojan War feel. But Blake really has full control and makes every moment matter. And I am checking daily for news of the sequel because I really want it right now. A debut that I loved this year was This Dark Descent by Kaylin Josephson. I stayed up way too late finishing this book. It was like three or four. I don't think I've done that since high school. You'll probably hear this one comp to the Scorpio races because it has magical horses and a deadly horse race. But it also incorporates Jewish mythology and history in a really fascinating, organic way. And the romances in this book are to die for. So if you're missing some of that romance content, this one, this one does double duty. Painted Devils by Margaret Owen was the sequel to one of my favorite books that I've ever reviewed, which Little Thieves, which you might have heard of. But this stands alone, and I think I might actually like it better than Little Thieves. So Vanya is a mostly reformed thief, all types, petty, grand, and identity. But then she accidentally starts a cult and manifests a god who demands the guy who's like sort of her boyfriend as a virgin sacrifice. There's, I mean, there's a lot to love in this book, but Vanya and her love interest are both demisexual, and the way this is integrated into the plot is just really beautifully done. I haven't really seen anything like it before. Also, the book is just hilarious. It's, I think, in a in a time of, like, really heavy stuff, this book is just so much fun to read, even when it's ripping your heart out, which it does do, so be warned. I have a couple honorable mentions a book that has magic in it but isn't a fantasy is another debut, The Making of Yolanda La Bruja by Lorena Vila. 
This was a really spectacular debut. Um, it's about a girl going to high school in the Bronx, and she's studying the spiritual traditions of her Afro-Dominican ancestors under her grandmother. And then she starts having increasingly violent visions about Ben, who's the white son of a progressive politician who's recently begun attending her school. He kind of, like, seems okay on the surface, but people that she goes to school with keep having these, like, weird interactions with him. Um, but she doesn't know who to tell because magic is a part of her life and her belief system, but it's not the norm for those around her. So this is more of a depiction of religion than a fantasy, but it's mostly the story of a girl learning how to use her voice. And it's really unique and it's really well done. And this was another one that I kind of couldn't stop reading and there just wasn't really anything like it. And then I do have one non-fantasy shout-out that I just wanted to end on, and that's The Blood Years by Alana K. Arnold. So it's historical fiction. It's set in a Jewish neighborhood in Romania during World War II, and it's based on the author's grandmother's experiences. I do think if you're following YA Books at All, you are going to be hearing a lot about this book this year, so I won't say too much, either because you've heard it or you're going to hear it. But this book has not left my head or my heart since I read it. And, you know, there's a lot to say about the craft and the subject matter. It can be really dark and really heavy and really difficult. But I guess the one thing I want to call out here is that Arnold talks in an afterwards about the care that her grandmother took with her when telling stories about her past, knowing she was talking to a child. And Arnold takes that same care with her readers. So everything said here is on purpose. And yeah, it's a hard book, but it's a really good book, which is sort of the theme for a lot of books this year. Anyway, that is YA Fantasy Etc. with Maggie. So happy end of 2023. Happy reading. Susan McGuire here, Senior Editor, Collection Management and Library Outreach, and as you know, host of Shelf Care, the podcast. I've got three books to talk about real quick that really elevated my reading life in 2023, and they all made it to Editor's Choice this year, so you know I'm serious about how they elevated my reading life. Anyway, the first is Happiness Falls by Angie Kim, which came out in August from Hogarth. I've seen it on a few best-of-the-year lists listed as a thriller, but I think of it more as a family drama, though it certainly has a propulsive enough hook to call it a thriller without me getting too mad about it. In the novel, a man goes missing, and the only witness to his disappearance is his 15-year-old son Eugene, who has autism and a rare genetic disorder called Angelman Syndrome, and he is nonverbal. As the police try in vain to get information out of Eugene, the family spirals. The story is narrated by Eugene's prickly 20-year-old sister Mia, who goes off on frequent tangents as only a 20-year-old can, reflecting on family memories and intellectual pursuits that add texture to the narrative. Kim explores themes of language and communication, both as Mia reflects on her time growing up in Korea and in the ways the family and experts communicate with Eugene. It's a page-turning, thought-provoking family drama, or thriller, I guess, and I think it's also a great pick for book groups. On a lighter note is Much Ado About Nada by Uzma Jalaluddin, which came out in June from Berkeley. I love an Austin retelling, and Persuasion is nearly my fave Austin novel. It's a tie with Pride and Prejudice, B.N. Sewer. Instead of Anne Elliott and Captain Wentworth, Jala Ludin presents Nada Syed and Boz Hawk, who appear to have a lot of disdain for each other, but those in the know know the truth. The problem is that Boz's brother is engaged to Nada's best friend, Halima, so you know the two will be crossing paths often as wedding preparations get underway. Boz is thriving, while Nada is still living at home as she approaches 30, 
having been cheated out of a business idea by the son of a family friend. In between scenes at Dean and Dunya, Toronto's largest Muslim convention, which the hacks run, the narrative reveals Nada and Baz's past, how they went from childhood tormentors to something much deeper, and readers will be left wondering if the two can move past their heartache and, well, if you've read Persuasion, you know where it's headed, but it's a tribute to Jalal Aluddin's writing and characterization that you'll happily turn the pages anyway. On an even lighter note is Emily Wilde's Encyclopedia of Fairies by Heather Fawcett, which came out way back in January from Del Rey. This book is just absolutely delightful. There's no other word for it. Dr. Emily Wilde is working on a comprehensive encyclopedia of fairies, the first of its kind, and her scholarship has brought her to a remote Scandinavian country in winter in search of the hidden ones, an especially mysterious species of fairy. At first, she's just joined by her faithful hound Shadow, which is just how she likes to work, without distraction from well-meaning villagers, and certainly not from her colleague, the too handsome Dr. Wendell Brambleby. Unfortunately, Wendell tracks her down, asking for her help in getting a paper published. Well, his name will get the paper published, but he needs her to do the actual scholarship. Soon Wendell is interfering in every aspect of her life there, from chopping wood and making her cabin annoyingly cozy, to making friends with the locals, which, again, annoyingly, adds depth to her research. In my review, I called Emily Wilde Amelia Peabody in snowshoes, and I stand by that. Emily has the prickly competence of Elizabeth Peters' Victorian-era Egyptologist, and the novel has a palpable sense of the cold, serious supernatural scholarship, adventure and intrigue, and, frustratingly for Emily, romance. It is, as I said, delightful, and readers looking for something light and nerdy will be pleased with this historical fantasy. That's it from me. Happy reading in the new year, everyone. Hello, everyone. This is Ronnie Curry, senior editor of the Books for Youth team. And the book I want to tell you about this year is a very special one. It's a picture book called The Hidden World of Gnomes by Lauren Soloy, published by Tundra Books. And this book introduces readers to the hidden folk called gnomes, who live in a happy place they call the pocket. You will meet more than a dozen of these peace-loving little people as they spend a joyful year going about their lives under the changing moon. You will meet Abel Potter, the inventor of musical instruments and the nut conveyor belt, Rose Gladly, who is in charge of seeds, Hachi Masi, the quiet moss farmer. You'll meet Bonnie Plum, the baker, and Minaletta, the adventurous storyteller. There's also Burly Bell, the doctor with a lovely singing voice, and Puckle Swift, who is in charge of all the food. There's Cobb Tiggy, the newest of the gnomes. You'll meet Sparkles, who loves to dig and find sparkly treasures, and Mary Pip, the messenger who runs the postal service. He may seem grumpy, but he's actually kind and makes sure no one ever feels left out. There's the artist, Beatrix Nutt, who is also the best at fluffing squirrel tails. And last but not least is Twiggy Dell, the skilled craftsman. All of these sweet characters will share their many joys with you, including the joy of the chase, of being as loud as you want, of snail hatching, the joy of making a wish, of listening to rainfall, 
of doing an important job like exiting for Geraldine Spearbeak, who, of course, has the coziest nest around. And as you sink into the text, you too will feel the joy of digging a hole or planting a seed or tucking someone in or sitting in a tree. You may suddenly find yourself thrilling in a quiet moment or in listening to bees sing or writing a letter. You may find yourself pausing midday to go through Hachimasi's daily exercises. In a chaotic, violent world full of conflict and suffering, this book is an antidote. I hope you'll all check it out, maybe share it with a child. And if you love it as much as I do, then maybe, perhaps at the next full moon, you and I can meet at the circle dance and learn the joy of making a new friend. Thanks. And that's it for this episode of Shelf Care, the podcast. Thank you to Donna, Sarah, Heather, Julia, Annie, Maggie, and Ronnie for sharing their faves from our Editor's Choice list. Remember, you can see the full list in our December issue or on booklistonline.com. If you like what you've heard, won't you consider rating and reviewing us on your nearest podcast app? That will help others find our bookish goodness. Thank you kindly, happy new year, and happy reading. Happy reading.